0: Good morning again. We are in 1 John this morning, the the first letter from John. So this is not the Gospel of John, but if you have your Bible this morning, uh, 1 John is toward the back, fourth to last book. If you have a Bible app, of course, you can just type in 1 John chapter 2, and there you will be. The Apostle John, who is writing this letter along with those who lead the church with him, because it says several times, we... Uh, are having a problem this morning in First John. There has been a church split. In fact, their church split is in progress. People are leaving their church. And uh, these people are saying they're doing so because they've become enlightened. The people who are leaving John's church say that they now understand that Jesus was not human at all. He was a purely spiritual being, they are saying, who came to save not the body, but just the soul. And so the folks who are leaving John's church say now they are so filled with light in their mind that they understand they are free to do whatever they want with their body because salvation has nothing to do with the physical, only the spiritual. And they claim that they learned this, of all places, from reading the Gospel of John. And so now they're leaving the church and they're taking other people with them. So the Apostle John and those around him write this letter called first John, we'd now call it, to send around, at least to all the churches in Ephesus, but possibly to all the churches in Asia Minor, which we now call Turkey. He wants to tell them in this letter, first of all, how to correctly understand the Gospel of John. And John should know something about it, since he in this community wrote it. The next thing he wants to let them know is that this group that's leaving the church is dangerous. The first thing he wants to do is take uh, to task this notion that these people who are leaving so that they can go do God only knows what with their new free bodies, that they are not enlightened, and he says that he can prove it. 1 John chapter 2, verse 4, he says, If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and not living in the truth. All right, so he's implying here they are breaking God's commandments. I wonder which one. He goes on in verse 6 to say, Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Well, we know from the Gospel of John, living in God is a big thing. Remember that big sermon Jesus gives in the Gospel of John? I am the vine, you are the branches, live in me. Huge section of the Gospel of John. He's saying, well, if these people lived in God, they'd be living like Jesus did. So he's implying that they're not living like Jesus did. I wonder what they're doing that's not living like Jesus did. Well, he answers both questions in chapter 2, verse 9 through 11. If anyone claims, I am living in the light, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves another brother or sister is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates another brother or sister is living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness." Well, who can deny that these folks don't love their Christian brothers and sisters? They're breaking the church up. No doubt they're talking to other people in the church about what's wrong with John and what's wrong with the other leaders of that church. Let's get out of here. We've been enlightened. And this kind of infighting in the church is one of the biggest turnoffs to everybody else in the world. Everybody else in the world looks at how many churches we have just within a mile of this building, and they say, what's wrong with you guys? Because they know that all these different churches uh, started somewhere back in history with some big fight, and it's tearing uh, the witness of Jesus down, right? Conflict, gossip, lack of grace, it has spawned a whole line of, bumpers, stickers, and t-shirts, and buttons that have this slogan on it. Maybe you've seen this driving down the road. I love God. It's his fan club. I can't stand. I've seen this button now for or t-shirt or bumper sticker for 20 years now. This is the world's response to all of our conflict and gossip and infighting. It's easy to say. It rolls off the tongue. It brings a little chuckle, but John says this is exactly the sort of attitude that says you don't know God. Verse 3 in chapter 2, he said, We can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims I know God but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and not living in the truth. He goes on in verse 9 to say, If anyone claims I am living in the light but hates a Christian brother or sister... That person is still living in darkness. Really? How can John write this? That if you don't love other people in the church, it shows you're living in darkness and you don't know God. Doesn't he know how irritating people in the church can be? Doesn't John know how absolutely toxic churches can get? I know I've been hurt by the church, and I know for a fact many of you have too. I remember the first time I tried to invite someone to church. I was in college. I was so excited about all God had done for me. I wanted to bring my friend to church so that he could have the same experience I had been having. And as we walked up to the church, an usher at the church put his hand on my friend's chest. Chest blocked him right at the church door and said, Son, take your hat off in the house of the Lord. Really? I'm inviting someone who doesn't know God, and we're going to make this about dress code and ball caps. I see you, Officer Ewing. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to make this about dress code and ball caps. For, he's probably got something hidden under that hat we don't want to see. <laughs> okay. All right. I've been hurt by the church, and I know some of you have been hurt by the church. When I was getting ordained, the denomination I was a part of at that time uh, failed me twice on my ordination exams for the misuse of a single word. And so, after a year of testing and retesting, I went for my third retest, and they all sat there and hemmed and hawed and finally said, Well, we could tell you're a Christian. Well, thanks. But we're going to go ahead and ordain you. Thanks again. But we're going to assign you a tutor to clean up your vocabulary about this Christian buzzword. Really? We prolonged this for a year. I'm fresh out of seminary. I want to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And we're proclaiming this over a vocabulary lesson. Okay. I've been hurt by the church. And I know that some of you have been hurt by the church a long time ago many years ago but but in this congregation i had a friend who came to me and he said he could no longer stand to be in church with me and he could not stand this church because it is so liberal now that really burns me up cuz i grew up in a very liberal church and frankly i don't think most people Would know a liberal church, a real liberal church, you know, if the purely human Jesus woke up from his coma in the tomb and smacked him with this forged copy of the Gospel of Thomas. (laughs) But, okay, we're liberal. I said, why? He said, because of the creation evolution thing. So what are you talking about? He said, because you don't teach that the days of creation are seven consecutive literal 24 hours a day. I said, you got to be kidding me. Half the people in this congregation believe that the creation happened in seven literal 24 consecutive days. He said, yeah, but only half. And you don't tell the other half to believe that too. I said, we have some room for this. Is this what it's going to be all about? He said, yes, this is what it's going to be all about. You're liberal. This whole place is liberal. I can't stand this place. And he left the church. I was devastated because that was my first time having somebody tell me they're leaving the church because of me. A week after he was gone, I was eating at a restaurant, and a young lady from our congregation, 16 years old, she happened to be our server. And she told me how relieved she was that he was gone because she babysat for the family for extra money, and at the end of each night after he paid her, he and his wife would invite her to join them in their bedroom and spend the night. Well, who's liberal now? I know what it is to feel rage at brothers and sisters in the church. And the sad thing is, I bet some of you have stories that make my stories pale to insignificance at the level of hurt that you've been hurt. So how is John writing that if you don't love your Christian brothers and sisters, it means you don't know God? Well, that's because there's some other some other stories that also would be relevant here. All the stories about me. All the stories about my sin. Specifically, the stories about my sins against other people in this congregation who I have hurt. And the stories about how Christ came to love me anyway. All the stories about Christ loving unlovable Stiff necked, self righteous me. And John writes this letter to say if you can't love the unlovable in the church too, like Jesus did, then you're not really understanding all the grace that has been shown to you. If I can't extend forgiveness, to an usher trying to serve the church who stops somebody at the door for wearing a hat because he's trying to protect whatever it is he's trying to protect. If I can't understand him, then I don't really understand this God has forgiven me when I've chest-blocked people at the church door trying to protect whatever it is I was trying to protect that day. If I can't understand and extend forgiveness to a group of denominational officials who've got too wrapped up in politics and buzzwords, if I can't forgive them, then I'm not abiding in Christ who tolerated and accepted me for so many years when I was wrapped up in less important things. If I don't care to lead a man to the true light, who claims to be enlightened about the creation of the world, but conducts his marriage in utter darkness. If I don't care to lead this man to the true light, then I really haven't made it out of my own darkness yet. If we can't love the unlovable as Jesus did, we really don't understand what Christ is doing at all. Verse 3. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey His commandments. Verse 5 says, But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love Him. That is how we know we are living in Him. Verse 6, Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Well, how? How do we live our life as Jesus did? He tells us in verse 7, Dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, this is an old one you've had from the very beginning. This old commandment, to love one another, is the same message you heard before. Yet it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment, and you are also living it. For the darkness is disappearing, and the true light is already shining. Now, of course, John has just taken us back now to the Gospel of John when he said all that about a new commandment. He's taking us back to uh, that passage in the Gospel of John we celebrate every Thursday before Easter, Monday, Thursday, when Jesus gives the new commandment. So if you've got a bookmark, you want to stay there. But let's go back a minute into the Gospel of John. A lot of folks believe that this letter is written to help us understand how to read the Gospel of John. Let's look at chapter 13, verse 34. Jesus says, so now I am giving you a new commandment, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So our love for one another becomes evangelism. Our love for one another, instead of making them make bumper stickers, causes them to say, well, that must be the power of God. Now, the people who are leaving John's church believe that they have seen God and that they know God in Jesus better than John. That's why they have to leave. But John says, if you have really seen God in Jesus, then how is it that you missed the love of God found in Jesus? I bet you've heard this one before from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 16. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son, So that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. John says, if you're really filled with light, and you really are following Jesus, then how is it you missed Jesus' prayer for his disciples that last night in the upper room? Go to the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verse 21. Where Jesus says, I pray they will all be one. Just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And they may be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Jesus says it again. The oneness of the church becomes evangelism. And the world believes that God sent Jesus when they see us forgiving and being one with one another. So every few years, usually when we're preaching something from John, we pass over one of these passages about church unity and oneness. And so far, I think by the Spirit, it has always come during these times when we have peace in our congregation. And so we always get to say these words, which I'll say again, that this, this is a great congregation of people. And the time for us to do this kind of preaching and dedicate ourselves to unity is during these times when we don't have a lot of drama and conflict. Because we're doing important work here and we're all human and so we're going to get worked up sometimes. In the future, we're going to have some drama and some conflict. But now's the time to remember that we're dedicated to unity so when when those times come, we will remember what we're really all about. We'll remember what we're really dedicated to. So, you all get complimented a lot. You get complimented for being a generous congregation. And you get complimented for being an intelligent congregation, comfortable with wrestling with the tough questions. And today you get complimented for being a peaceful and a unified congregation. The group of pastors that I get to hang out with from around the the Kansas City area, they're a little envious at how well you all get along with one another and how easy you are to get along with. Now, I don't think that's because we just happen to gather a bunch of naturally peaceful people here. Uh, Some of you know me when I'm not up here, and and I know some of you. And uh, there's more than enough need for anger management class to go around here in the room. So I I don't think the peace and unity is because we just are a bunch of easygoing types. Um, I have to give... The human credit for the way this congregation operates, to our founding pastor Dan Wilburn, who preached a lot of messages like this to us when the church was first starting, we're all in our 20s or 30s. A lot of messages like this, right along with let's reach the lost, let's, you know, practice, use our spiritual gifts and leadership and oneness. He soaked this congregation in a marinade of mature conflict, resolution, until it soaked into us and became a part of our DNA. And so this morning, I'd like to just do my part to carry the baton for a leg of the race and share with all of you what was shared with me so that we can have another 20 years of unity. So the first thing Dan will always share with us in those messages is that the church is no place for gossip and that comes straight from uh, many pages of the Bible, uh, Book of James and Proverbs, if you want to just get hit with it constantly, uh, that there is no place for gossip among us. So if you have a problem with someone here in the church, the, the right place to address that is with that person you have a problem with. Even if you think they won't listen, it doesn't matter. It's not about the effectiveness. Even if you think it won't do any good, it doesn't matter. This is about doing the right thing And certainly the right thing is not talking about your issue with some other person. So we've had this culture in our congregation for a long time that when one of you complains to me about Dan or one of you complains to Dan about me, we encourage you to call that other pastor and share with them your hurt. And if you don't get it, you don't get the message, and you try to gripe about that a second time, then we'll give you this challenge. Hey, this is obviously a big deal to you. I'm going to give you till next Sunday to contact this person and talk about it with them. And if you don't, we're going to go do that together. That comes right out of Matthew. So just a few years ago, a couple of gals came to my office and one of the, one of the sisters said, so my sister here tells me, Pastor, that you have done something that hurt her. And she is upset and I just thought this would be a better place and time to deal with that. And we had a great conversation, and we reached an understanding. Although at first, I think this other gal got dragged in there because she had been gossiping about the situation, and this sister gave her the, we'll go talk to him, and we'll go talk to him by next week, and then said, well, let's go right now. Here we are. And I think that she didn't really believe that I would listen to her. Uh, That's what Satan does to us, you know. Even in our own families, tells us no point in talking about it. They're so stiff-necked and wicked, it won't make any difference. But that's not what the power of the Spirit does among us. Here's another lesson that Dan gave us. He he would always put up this picture during his sermons. I talk about him like he's dead. He's like sitting in the room. Anyway. He's preaching in two weeks. All right, so anyways, but he would put these uh, pictures up on the screen for us and uh, had a triangle and had the angles labeled A, B, C, and those were people. And he he said, this is the conflict triangle. So listen here and, and tell me if you've ever been in a conflict triangle. So person A is upset with person B. Something's gone wrong. But instead of talking to person B, person A reaches out and tells person C about it and and now you have a, a triangle. Who's ever been caught in a conflict triangle? If ever your mother has called you about this time of year to tell you how your sister-in-law's jacking up the Christmas plans, you are caught in a conflict triangle because why is she not calling your sister-in-law? What's this have to do with you, right? So we, we love to do this with our adult children. So, um, so conflict triangle is where is a transfer of anxiety. See, A was, was upset with B about, and so there's, they were anxious with B, but A took that anxiety and handed it to C. says, here, you have this. And now C is anxious and upset. Now uh, now we're gonna find out who our advanced students are. I wanna tell you about the, if, if you don't, the right thing to do is to tell A, well, okay, why don't you go talk to B about that? Go talk to B about that. But if you don't do that, here's what happens. And you'll get caught in what's called the conflict triangle double cross. See if this has ever happened to you. So A gets upset with B and talks to you, your C. Talks to you and says, you can't believe what B did. And you're like, oh, that's a terrible story. And you're upset in your soul. The anxiety is transferred and here you're holding it. You're holding the the grenade, right? And uh, so you go to B and you're saying, hey, B just told me something. I can't believe that you did this. And B says... I don't know what A's talking about. That's not what happened at all. Now watch closely. B goes to A and says, C said that I did something. And A says, I don't know what C's talking about. I didn't say that. You know, C is kind of a busybody. They like to get in and mess with people who have a good, tight friendship. And now A and B turn against you, and you had nothing to do with it. Who's ever been caught in the triangle double cross? Oh my gosh, that was my entire twenties. <laughs> my entire twenties was me caught in here. Until praise the Lord, the prophet Dan Wilbur said, "Hey, tell A go talk to B about it themselves." I could have had a V eight and saved it. In- <laughs> entire decade of pain. All right. So, and when you deal with this conflict, it's got to be in person, at least voice to voice. Uh, but in person, I can't tell you, and I'm going to gripe a little bit. I'm getting quite tired of it. The amount of marriage counseling I've done lately where someone says, well, I, this happened, and then I told my husband this and this, and I felt hurt, and, my, and then he said back, and I'm like, this is great communication you guys have going. I mean, what's the, why are you in my office? And he says, well, you know, she texts me this stuff while I'm at work. Wait a minute. You have a marriage conflict and you are texting it with little happy faces plastered after it? Like your marriage is and you're texting it where a spell like a spell check automatically replaces words with other naughty words. And I mean, no. No. 80% of your communication is your tone of voice and your body language. It's not what you say. It's that look on your face while you say it that says it all. The hand on the knee. the, the Oh, my goodness. 80% of it's here and what we're saying right now. So here's what's happening when you're, when you're trying to handle your conflicts by texting. Here's what you texted. I have a hurt, and it, it came from you. And um, if you have some time this week, I would like to address it send. Here's what is read. I have a problem, and it comes from you. And if you've got the time, I, the big person in this situation, would like to address it. (laughs) Happy face. (laughs) You can't. No. No. Voice to voice at least. In person. If you're going to text your conflicts, you might as well title it. I was trying to find the worst possible thing I could do to make a bad situation worse, and I think I found it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this all applies to me. This all applies to me. Uh, so there are elders in this church, and they look after me, but they also oversee me. And there is staff in this church, and I look after them, but I also oversee them. And sometimes I get sideways with a staff member, and I don't like the way it's gone, and we have a nasty exchange. So I go to the elders, and I whine. My staff's insubordinate. They're mean to me. And, and always, this, the, always the elders say, okay, that's good. It's a good story. Um, why don't you go talk to that staff member, and then tell us how that conversation goes. So you see what they're doing? I have anxiety that comes from them, and I try to go hand it to the elders, and the elders politely hand it back. Go talk to B and then tell us if there's a problem. Well, I've never had to go back and talk to them. I've never had to go back and talk to them because once I sit down with the staff member, it always turns out it's a little bit me and it's a little bit them and it's a little bit misunderstanding and it's a little bit of something that actually happened months ago that is coloring this situation. So we got to go back and, and deal with that and then we all end up hugging in the end. Although Satan said, you know, they're a terrible person, they won't listen. He was lying as always, as always. For the spirit of Christ comes and makes us one. Let's have a moment of silence here and that each of us might give God a moment to say something about this to us in the church. Is there someone in the congregation or a brother or sister that you've been having a a conflict with and maybe they don't even know about it and it's time for a conversation. Something under the surface, something in your marriage, something ignored and Satan has convinced you it's better off, easier not to talk about it. Let's have a moment of silence, see if God would like to say it's time to do something different with that. Is there someone today you want to text or email to make a time to get together, not to, don't lay the whole thing out, to make a time to get together? Is there someone you want to just pull aside in the church lobby today and say, hey, is there a time we could talk? Someone wanted to talk to me right after the first service. Maybe you need to go to small group, half an hour, 45 minutes early this week and talk about a thing that's been festering a while. What is it? I love this verse from our passage today, chapter 2, verse 10. Anyone who loves another brother or sister is living in the light. And does not cause others to stumble. In these moments when we love one another, we are living in the light and it doesn't cause the world to be confused about who we are and what we're really all about. So the the next person that comes through those doors to come to faith in Christ Jesus finds himself surrounded by as near as we are able in our human weakness to do, they are surrounded by as, as... Good a representation as we are capable of creating of what the kingdom of the second coming Christ will be like. Brothers and sisters of different races, different places, both sides of the tracks, both sides of the political aisle, some raised Baptists, some raised Catholics, some raised nothing at all, but now all made one in Christ Jesus. And they see that and they have a new bumper sticker that says, surely this must be the power of God. I want to share with you a story from someone right here in our own congregation who had a time of hurt, a time of hurt from the church and an encounter with God. And uh, let's watch this story together.
1: My name is Lisa Hans. This is my story. I am an accountant. My husband, Steve, and I have been here 11 years. I have a 19-year-old, Zach, who went through the youth group here, and a 16-year-old, Nathan, who serves upstairs currently. So, last fall, I had a lot of work struggles, and I had had a couple years of parenting struggles, and our small group had a challenge. Overall, I was pretty exhausted and felt detached from Lakeland and a lot of my relationships. That led me to not come to church as much and I felt like no one really noticed that I wasn't around anyway during that time frame. I wasn't serving, I don't know, I just had a pretty bad... I was withdrawn and felt detached and distant from Lakeland and its congregation. I'm fairly simple. I'm a jeans and t-shirt kind of girl. Um, I carry my cards and fishing license and everything in this clip instead of a purse. And on Mother's Day, I lost this clip. When we arrived at lunch, I realized that I had lost it, immediately came back and looked everywhere I had been in Lakeland and could not find it. So I went home and I couldn't really relax, so I came back up to Lakeland. I'm not a real prayerful person, but I had been considering coming to pray in the prayer circle because I had heard some rumors about financial troubles we were having and how it might affect the youth. But instead I walked upstairs to the youth room. As I walked in I heard a train whistle, which is significant because years ago Dan suggested one of my spiritual practices could be just to say a prayer when I hear a train whistle. So when I hear a train whistle, I say the Lord's Prayer, and I felt like when I heard that train whistle as I walked into the upstairs room, that was my confirmation that I really should be up here and, you know, just kind of walk around the building and pray some. As I walked out of that room, that's when that huge storm came in, and it was just thundering, and the rain was pouring down. So it was a very surreal experience because it was the only person in the building. I started walking through the rooms. I just kind of touched tables and the walls and as I walked around I remembered a lot of things that I had forgotten. I remembered um, a time when Zach had a fundraiser upstairs when we used to have movie nights. I thought about when Michael got the pie in his face and Nathan giving announcements upstairs and then I went over to the old kids home room and I remembered serving over there and uh, the mouse that was in Garrett's beard and the Dawn Treader skit Walking along the upstairs overlooking the soccer field, I could hear the rain pounding on the roof, and I felt like I was wrapped up in a blanket and just loved. So as I made my way into the sanctuary, I thought I would just kind of walk along and touch the chairs and pray mainly for new seekers, new believers, people like me, and um, find a community here and find the love of Jesus here. And as I walked back down the west wall, from that angle, I could see my cards under my chair. And so I just kind of grinned and said, okay, God, that's a pretty funny way to get me back up here. So I knew, I knew we needed to do something. I wasn't sure what it was, and I went home and told Steve about what had happened. And A few weeks after that, we had our congregational meeting about the budget cuts. After that, our family decided to make a one-time donation and to increase our tithing a little bit. And we just, and Steve and I decided we would start signing up to serve. And so now I'm back serving 8th grade girls and Experience Station and our small group's taken on two more people. And I'm excited to be here and appreciative of what's here. And I think about people who just walk in and out like I was. And um, they don't really stop and look around. And, and there's a family here, people that care about you, people have cared about my kids when they were difficult to care about, and people who have loved Steve and I when we were nearly impossible to love. So I just wish everyone could have the experience to have your life, your church life, pass before your eyes and remind you that you shouldn't take it for granted. My name is Lisa Hans. This is my story.
0: Well, let us stand together. I'd like to say a word of blessing over you. May God's voice be louder than any other voice in your life to tell us who we really are, how much He really loves us, to show us the way that leads to wisdom and, and to His kingdom. May we be one, as Christ prayed, as He and the Father are one. And may our oneness then proclaim to the world that we have been sent by Christ to proclaim good news. And this knowledge go in peace. Amen. See you next week.